house lights will come up here in a second and you'll be able to see. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. I want to invite you, if you would, we've been looking at this for several weeks. We've been in a series for uh, the month of January, ending it today. And I'd, I'd invite you, if you would, to read this uh, whole thing out loud with me. Would you do that? Here we go. Ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Um, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, today, uh, what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes, and um, then we're going to take communion. If you don't know what that is, we'll explain what that is at the end of the service together. Uh, but I want to talk to you today about finding your way back to God. Now, you might be surprised uh, for me to say that on one level, you might, you might kind of expect that. Hey, I'm in a church service. You're going to talk about God, right? And you, you expect that. But on the other level, you might say, well, I mean, do people in our culture believe in God? If you listen to the news, if you listen to people talk, you might think that uh, the majority of people don't believe in God, uh, just based on how people talk about God. Now, that the stats say that belief in God over the last decade or two decades has actually gone down, the number of people who report that. But probably one of the most respected pollsters in America is named Gallup, the Gallup Poll. And Gallup took a poll and found that 89% of Americans, that's basically 9 out of 10 Americans, believe in God. Now, what they believe about God or their definition of God might not be the God that Jesus reveals to us. Uh, it might be a different understanding of what God's like. But 9 out of 10 people say, hey, there's a God. So I want to talk to you about finding your way back to God, because most of us, in some shape, form, or fashion, believe in God. Now, later uh, in the spring, we're actually going to do a series about doubt and faith, because that is the air that we breathe in our culture, is doubt about faith, and we're going to talk about, honestly, about the doubts that, that people have about faith. Um, but I, I want to suggest this to you. There's a difference between believing in God and knowing God. Uh, it, it's really like the difference of me believing in my wife. I believe that my wife exists, and she's a person, and the difference between that and actually knowing and talking to and interacting with my wife. It's a t worlds of difference, right? So let me say it to you like this, and this might be shocking. You might say, you're a pastor. How can you say this? Uh, this might be a little shocking to you when I say this, but believing in God won't change your life. Did you know that? Believing in God will not change your life. I I'll give you an example. Just like believing in Tom Brady won't change your life, right? He's going to play in the Super Bowl later today. You can believe in Tom Brady. Somebody likes him a lot. Uh, you can believe in Tom Brady. You can debate Tom Brady's skills. You can talk about Tom Brady's stats. But that's just believing in Tom Brady, right? That's believing he exists and he's, somewhere, he's a person and he's going to play in the Super Bowl later today. If you know personally Tom Brady and you're related to Tom Brady and you have access to all of Tom Brady's resources, that's a whole different reality, right? Believing in God won't change your life, but knowing God personally will. That's the difference. I'm going to talk to you about that today. Now, the goal of this series has been, uh, as you've, if you've been here each week, we've been talking about 
uh, you finding a satisfying life. If you could get a satisfying life, what would that be like? And so we spent some time looking at health, and we spent a week talking about relationships. We talked about um, your emotional life. Last week we talked about finances. And, and the goal is that through all those things, you'd figure out that you could have a satisfying life, that the grace of God makes it possible for you to have a do-over and find a satisfying life. Now, in, in, my, in my view, and I think this is the Scripture's view too, is that if you were to have a satisfying life, that would mean you'd have a life of love. You'd love yourself, you'd love other people, um, you'd love God, you'd, you'd have a life of love. And each of those things gives you the margin to be able to love. So if you're, uh, if you're too tired and too worn out and too out of shape, you don't have the margin called energy to love another person. Have you ever been so tired, you know, like someone wants to come talk to you, and you're like, listen, I'm too tired, I don't want to listen to anything you have to say. Have you ever, you ever felt that? Because you don't have the margin called energy to actually interact with that person and love them. Well, it's an important thing. Or maybe you, you don't have the margin in relationships called reconciliation where you're at odds with somebody and you, don't have, you have a lack of conflict. You have that margin. You can love somebody. Or if, you, if you're in tune with your own emotions and you've dealt with your shame and with your guilt, uh, you, have the, uh, you have the margin called self-esteem. If I like me and I love me, guess what? It's a lot easier for me to like you and to love you. And then if you're not under pressure financially all the time because you're always under, in, in debt and you don't have any savings and you have no, no cushion financially, you've got the margin to not feel overwhelmed by life to actually interact with another human being and love them, right? You can do all those things. Now, listen. You may not believe in God. You may not have a personal relationship with God. And, and if you don't, listen, I would love it if those four things, you work through those four things in your life and you had a satisfying life. One of the things about us as a church is we want to bless people whether they agree with us or believe like us or not. So I hope you have a better life. But this is what I would suggest to you, is that you, can't, you can have a better life, but if you don't know God personally, you're not going to have a bigger life. You're Without knowing God personally, you can have all these wonderful things in your life, but you're cut off from the source of life. A guy named Elton Trueblood, he said that we live in what we, he calls a cut flower culture. I went to the store today, and I bought these uh, flowers right here. And uh, th these are beautiful, right? You can smell them. You can enjoy their beauty. You can smell the aroma. But what do you know by looking at them, right? They're, they're cut off from the source of life that allows their beauty and their aroma to continue. And so you know you've got a limited amount of time until you can no longer enjoy this. In fact, it's something that stinks and that you want to throw out. This is, this is, what, this is the suggestion, is that if, you're, if you don't have, you can have all these other things in your life that people on the outside see, but if at the root you're not connected to the thing that gives you life, then you can't continue that, right? We live in a cut flower culture. Now, my wife is over here, and because I bought these, I'm going to give these flowers to my wife right over here. Here we go. There we go. Love you, babe. So, yeah, see, there you go. I take that. Uh, so we live in this cut flower culture, right? We're cut off, without God in our life, without knowing God personally, we're cut off from the source of life. So this is what Paul says. He says, listen, we implore you then, be reconciled to God. Uh, the word implore means to beg or to plead. It'd be like if you're driving uh, across a bridge and you see someone getting ready to jump off the bridge, I, I would hope you'd get out of your car and you would beg them, you would implore them, you'd plead with them. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. It's begging, pleading. I, we implore you. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And, and now, if Paul's saying we need to be reconciled to God, well, if you have to be reconciled with someone in some way, what does that mean? That means there's some kind of tear in your relationship. It's like if you're married and you get divorced. Some tear happened that caused you to be separated. I would even argue that divorce might be the better metaphor for the way uh, people in America uh, have, are related to God. You know, you can believe in your ex, 
but you don't want anything to do with them, right? They're a person, but because of the hurt, the pain, whatever, you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. I think that might be a better metaphor for how people actually interact with God in our culture. So we, we need to be reconciled. Now, if, if there's a tear there, now we've got to ask the question, why is the tear there? I mean, nine out of ten people say there's a God, but the majority of those people have some kind of tear that keeps them from being close to God and knowing God personally. Well, it could be a number of reasons. It could be that you doubt God. It could be that your understanding of God, uh, because our, our cultural climate is about skepticism. That's not actually a bad thing. Uh, science is built on that foundation. It's how we know things. We're skeptical of the outcome until we can prove it. Uh, you might have doubt about God, but I, here's what I often find when people doubt God, is that their picture of God is nothing like the God revealed to us in Jesus. And so I can, I can tell you story after story of people who've rejected a God that's nothing like Jesus, and they think they've rejected the real God, but they've rejected a caricature or a picture of what God's actually like. And so they, they doubt God, but they're not <laughs> doubting the real God. So sometimes when I'm talking to somebody, I'll say, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And they'll describe this picture, and I'll say, well, I don't believe in that God either. But that could be why. You could have doubt. Uh, it could be that you're angry at God. I, I have a friend uh, that I went to college with, and uh, he met the girl of his dreams while he was in college. She's beautiful. They had a child together. After they had the child together, she went to him and said, listen, I don't love you. I've never loved you. You're repulsive to me physically. I'm divorcing you. My friend grew up around the stuff of God, in, in part of a church family, and uh, at that moment, he said something happened inside of him where he hated God. For whatever reason, he said, God, this is your fault. Why would you let this happen to me? How could you let this, this thing happen to me in my life? And that might be you. That might be why you're not personally connected to God, is you're angry at God. Uh, it might be that you have shame at who you are. The number of times I hear people say something like, well, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't want to go to a church service. I might burst into flames, <laughs> right? There's this sense of shame we carry around with us, this sense of guilt that we're not measuring up, and so God's going to zap us if he gets the chance. And that might be why you're disconnected from God, or you think that God's mad at you. Have you, have you ever had this experience where you, you, you know someone kind of, sort of, and you interact with them a couple times, and you're in the same room, and you see a look on their face, and you assume that they are mad at you? You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what they brought in that day. But you just assume that they're mad at you. Many of us have this about God. We think God is just mad at us. And so we don't want to be close to someone who's mad at us. Or it might be that you, the reason is that you're not personally connected to God is that you don't want to change. Because you know if, if you let God into your life, that you know that you'd have to change some things in your life and you don't want to. And you're just frankly in rebellion. Now here's, here's what Paul says in this letter to the Corinthians. He says that whatever you might feel about God is not what God feels about you. Let me say that to you again. Whatever you might feel about God is not what God feels about you. That Christ, Christ came into the world, Jesus came into the world to bring people back to God. So God's not ashamed of you. God's not overwhelmed by the fact that you doubt. God's not, God's not mad at you for being mad at him. That's not how God responds to you. What God wants to do is reconcile with you. And so he makes this invitation of reconciliation and basically says, come eat dinner at my table. And when you invite someone into your home and you open the door and you set the table and you clean the bathroom and you scrub the floors, what do you want to do? You want to invite that person closer to you, right? This is what Paul says God's doing is he's, he's wanting to be he's taking the first step and he's wanting to be reconciled to us and heal the rift that's in our relationship. And so he invites you, invites us uh, to his table because he wants to turn you who might right now be his enemy into his friend. One of my heroes is Martin Luther King Jr., 
and uh, he's my hero for, for a number of reasons. One is many people don't know that he was a pastor. He pastored a church, and it was out of his conviction and understanding of the message of Jesus, the message of reconciliation that we're talking about this morning, that he said, we got to heal this racial divide in our country. And, and one of my other reasons he's one of my heroes is he took on the system. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the system is always set up against God, and it's always set up to keep the man down. And he took on the system, and so I've always admired his courage that he would have to take on the system. And he suffered incredibly, and he was actually killed by the system. But I, I found some of the things that he wrote to people in Montgomery, Alabama, when that famous thing happened with the bus, and they did a sit-in in Montgomery, Alabama. I found some of the things that he wrote and said, this is how we're going to behave, and this is how we're going to act. And I want to read some of them to you. Listen to what he said. He said, we should pray for guidance and commit to complete nonviolence in word and act as you enter the bus. Demonstrate the calm dignity of our Montgomery people in your actions. And so he had people who'd already done this. He said, in all things, observe ordinary rules of courtesy and good behavior. Rem and this, he said this, remember, this is not a victory for us alone, but for all Montgomery and the South. He understood if he could get people to reconcile, this was a victory for everyone, black, white included. Do not boast, do not brag. He said, uh, be quiet but friendly, proud, but not arrogant, joyous, but not boisterous. Now listen to what he says right here. Be loving enough to absorb evil and understanding enough to turn an enemy into a friend. Be loving enough to absorb evil and understanding enough to turn an enemy into a friend. Now Martin Luther King was motivated by the message of reconciliation, and he took blows to heal the divide. Like literally, you've seen the pictures, right? This is, this is, what, Jesus, this is what Paul says Jesus did for us. That God wanted to be reconciled to us, and so God took the blows so that you could be his friend. He made the first move and invited you to his table because he wants you to know him personally. Listen, let me say it to you again. Believing, believing in God will not change your life. Believing in God doesn't change your life. Knowing God personally does. Now, I want to introduce you to some of my friends. They're going to come up here, and uh, you're going to get to hear some of their stories. So I want to invite them to come up here. If you'd give them a, a little bit of a welcome as they come up. We're going to get to hear their story about how they uh, came to know God personally, and uh, I think you'll love what they have to say. Here we go, guys. Have a seat. So these guys are all, uh, all real lifers, and um, this is David Johnson. David is uh, the police chief for Lake Station. He's been a police officer, what, 13 plus years, something like that. You didn't always have a relationship with God. You're a follower of Jesus now. Uh, what was that like? What was your story? How did you get there? Uh, growing up, I uh, was around church. Uh, my grandparents uh, went to church, and um, I would periodically go with them. Neither of my parents really went to church. Uh, they would go every once in a while. <clears throat> uh, as I grew older, uh, church really wasn't uh, an option for me in the sense of my own feelings. Because um, you would just go, you'd go to a church service like four or five, six times a year or something yeah, like that? Yeah, okay, yeah, somewhere around there. And as I got older and I could make more, more of my own choices, that wasn't a choice for me. Uh, so I eventually uh, joined the military and um, I kind of flirted with learning about God and reading, reading, reading the Bible some and uh, still never really developed a relationship with him. And uh, as time went on, um, I ended up going to war and uh, going to war really didn't um, do me any good in that, in that stance either. Uh, just some of the things that I saw, of course, you see death, um, but also 
just the poverty uh, that, that people are living in. Because you, you were in a third world country. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's horrific poverty that you can't imagine unless you've seen yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I grew up without a lot. Uh, you know, I, I, right. I would say I grew up poor, but uh, my poor doesn't even compare to sure. uh, their poor. Um, so and, and so w it, did, did that make, when you saw all those things, you saw what you saw in war and you saw the poverty, did that make you in some ways question, like, how could there be a good God because this stuff exists in the world, right? It's one of the things you had to wrestle through. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I was questioning that a lot. Sure. I, uh, during, during the time when I, while I was deployed, I, I got to come home for leave for a couple weeks. And in that couple weeks, my uh, cousin also got killed in a car accident during that time. Mm. And I was fortunate enough to be there with family when it occurred, but on the, on the flip side of it, you know, I just left a place where there was death and sure. destruction, and now I come home and uh, deal with that. So uh, again, then I, I go back and uh, same thing, you know, as, as time wore on, I mentally uh, just was depleted. And uh, I just kept pushing God further and further away. Um, and uh, for a long time, I didn't live my life with God at all. Didn't really care to know him. Hmm. And uh, when our daughter was about uh, nine or ten years old, uh, she's 17 now, uh, she, um, my wife actually asked her around Christmas if she knew what Christmas was about. And uh, she had no idea who Jesus was. Hmm. So uh, at that point, we figured, well, okay, just because we're living our life this way um, doesn't mean that we shouldn't at least let sure. her know who Jesus is. So we started to hop around from church to church at that point. And uh, we eventually landed here and um, started uh, coming to the services and, you know, sitting, you know, initially, you know, we sit here in the, like, front row now, but mm -hmm. initially we were kind of off in the corner up there, you know, where nobody could see us. And, sure. uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, it, some, at times it felt like the pastor was talking directly to me. Uh, okay, what's going on? You know, so I started seeking God the way that he was seeking me. Um, you know, so I started reading the Bible. Um, you know, Chrissy and I were always horribly struggling in our marriage. We were complete opposites. Um, and that's just, just you guys. No one else struggles yeah. with that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. Yeah. Um, we were complete opposites. We fought about everything. And, uh, you know, in the weekly, every week there was, you know, a thing called marriage, uh, marriages matter. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't me, it was her, you know, we, we'd point at it, like, we probably should check this out on Wednesday. And, uh, you know, that went on for a few months. Well, eventually we decided that we would make it a point to go there on, on a Wednesday. And uh, before we even left, we got into a huge blowout fight. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's never happened either, I know. Nope. I know no one, no one here can relate to that at all. Yeah. So uh, we get there and start listening to what's being said, and the whole time I'm with my arms crossed thinking, I hope she's listening. <laughs> <laughs> she could probably learn something here. Um, so, uh, you know, as time went on, we began to develop relationships in the church, and we got to see, uh, see Jesus. We got to see God, God through other people, and uh, how welcoming and inviting, and uh, it just allowed us to grow. And, um, you know, and in that growth, you know, I could say that, you know, I've, I've lived my life without God and I've lived my life with God. Um, and living my life with God is, is much better. You know, I fail every day, but, you know, uh, aligning my, my will with his, you know, things just 
feel better. Um, and, and there's no words I can use to describe it other than that. Yeah, so the journey for you was you moved from God being this idea to knowing God personally, someone who you trust and you give your life to. Absolutely. Yeah, great, great. So this is Ryan Smith, Real Lifer. And so, Ryan, you a uh, little different than, um, than David. You grew up in church building stuff. You know, you, were, you said you were there virtually every day growing right. up. But, but so obviously you didn't struggle at all, right? Not one time. Right. <laughs> uh, I was, I don't remember a time not being in church. Um, from, I mean, I, I would say I was probably born in, probably on the front row. Just, I mean, we were always there. You, and your parents were kind of leaders, volunteers. They were leaders. They were, leaders, really they, were they were right? pastors. They were children's pastors. They've, they've been youth pastors, missionaries. Um, my aunts and uncles on both sides, they're at some point. Hmm. either pastors or, or leadership in the church. My cousins are the same way. So uh, that's all, all we've ever known. Yeah. Um, and we bounced around. We went through a lot of different de- denominations. A lot of, we moved around a lot trying to make it. But the church was never, that, that's all there was, was, was church. There, there is nothing else. Hmm. And with that, you start getting pushed into, okay, you got to act right, you got to do right. You can never make a mistake. And when you do, then they don't necessarily offer forgiveness, but they, they, they drill you. So there was a super, so what you experienced was a super high standard, and only if you kept the standard were you okay, and did God like you, and other people liked you in the church, right? right? So it was like, so it was like a, a narrow, got, just got narrower and narrower in your experience, right. and so you, you screwed up, you were done with. You're walking on dental floss. Yeah. I mean, there's no, yeah. you, wow. you have no... There's no chance at all having a relationship with God. But if by some chance you do get it, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And you, you'll never achieve it. And you'd always hear these stories of people who got it. Right. And you would always feel like, well, I guess I'm never going to get it. Exactly. What, what did that do to you inside? Um, it, it, it tore me. It killed me. I just, I said, forget it then. And I'm just, I'll, I'll do my own thing. I'll live my own. They don't, if I can't achieve it, why try? Yeah. And so uh, I decided just write the church off and and yeah and that took you to a really dark place very dark place um i was a a drug addict majority of my life Hmm. um probably since i was about 15 Hmm. and then that went continuous um i moved to honduras and and you were not only you were a drug i mean you were you were dealing you were running from this guy not not literally Uh, but you know (laughs) Right? I mean, you were yeah. like, you were heavy. You were. You uh, not him in particular. Right. Lost. You were, you were, I mean, you were hardcore. I never, I never saw cops dealer. laugh like that, right, really. Right. <laughs> they, they didn't laugh at, well, they laughed at me, but they weren't, I was in handcuffs when they were doing that. Right. But, yeah, I, th- th- he was, he was, he was the enemy. You know, like, right. I don't, uh, yeah, it was bad. I was dealing drugs, doing drugs, I mean, the whole, the whole shebang. Uh. And so my brother, he was already a missionary in Honduras, and he came back to the States uh, to visit. And he, he met a couple of police officers hmm. in, in the town I was staying at that was asking about me. And then he came back to me and, and said, what, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I laughed and got scared. And then he goes, you're messing up. Just, why don't you come move to Honduras with me? And I was like, that's a good idea. So, so you left as a drug dealer and a drug addict to go be a missionary in Honduras. Yes. But you weren't doing that for Jesus, right? It was really, you were escaping. 
Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's your uh, calling to be missionary, real quick. Right. You know? Right. Right. We, oh we, yes, Lord. Yeah. Okay. When you see the red, white, and blues behind you, right. God talks real loud. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I packed everything I had in four Rubbermaid bins and left. Hmm. And uh, got over there and and thinking I was, you know, king top dog, and and hmm. that was the only thing that mattered. And uh, when you're in a third world country that doesn't know who you are, hmm. that doesn't care who you are, it, that you can't speak a language anyway, I mean, it's a, it's a wake-up call. And so then with that, you, you, you know, everything you were raised to believe is, is it's a joke. You, you don't, uh, I don't think you're ever ready to, to deal with the poverty that you see. Yeah, because totally. a third world country, unless you've been there and seen it yourself, it just, it's beyond words. National Ge Geographic does yeah, a horrible does, job of, do, of yeah, showing it. Right. They, they don't, uh, but the thing that blew me away, you, you have, I mean, it's, we would get over there and think, this is disgusting, but the people there are so loving. Sure. That, that, why? Yeah. You know, and I never saw a real clear picture of, 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 of a Jesus or, or, or a God portrayed correctly. Yeah. Uh, until I was over there. We had nothing. I had no, no money coming in. Uh, I made about, I think, $89 a month wow. is what I made at the, at the school. And uh, my brother made a, about 190 I think. And that was for all of our, our bills, all of our food. And a lot of times we didn't eat for a while. But the, the only portrayal of, of, of God that we had was a taxi driver named Gabe. Hmm. And uh, we were kind of, you don't, you don't expect a taxi driver to be a portrayal of God. You just don't, you don't see it. And, and he, he was unchurched, had, had no idea who Jesus was, didn't care who Jesus was. And my brother and I had no furniture, no food. And he introduced us to his in-laws. And we met him out of a, kind of a freak accident. But uh, his family gave us all their furniture. Hmm. And, of course, now you're really confused because... They don't know God. Mm -hmm. How, why they act like God? Mm -hmm. When everything I knew growing up, yeah, that's not God. Right. So the picture you got of God growing up was nothing like what you understand Jesus right. to be. And here's this guy who doesn't know Jesus from a hole in his head, and he's saying, "This is you go. This is right. what Jesus would, would be like." Yeah. Right. So we came. I came back to the states and uh, got back on drugs, and uh, ended up getting a little bit darker than it was before. Hmm. I was homeless for a while. And uh, talked to my pastor in Springfield. He came and saw me one night and uh, invited me. And uh, I ain't going to church, man. And uh, then he told me, read Romans. And I'm not going to read a book. Romans in, in the New Testament. Right, in the New Testament. Letter. I'm not going to read. And uh, when I started, I got off drugs July 5th, 2005 was the last time I've done drugs. Hmm. And at that... <laughs> Uh, I started reading Romans, and the idea that I got was this is nothing like the, the God that I was raised to believe. Hmm. What the Bible is saying is not at all what I was told. Hmm. And through time and studying and, and getting an idea and asking questions, 98% of what I, what I was taught was just not a lie. And so I had a very clouded idea of God sure. as opposed to the reality of who God really is. And it's, it was completely different. Yeah. And so now you, you know God personally and you're following Jesus, but you, you're following the real Jesus, not 
weird picture you were right, given of a Right, right. I, I yeah. have a, a, a clear, I mean, I'm always learning sure. about Jesus and the different characteristics of Jesus that is mind-blowing, but yeah. it's, it's, it's very clear as opposed to the clouded, foggy picture of who sure. God was. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. This is Todd Stivers. Todd's a real lifer. And so, you, you, unlike these guys, you had no, growing up, you had no connection to God, people, church, religion. What was that like? Right. So, uh, growing up, and this is not easier when you can't say right. it the second time. <laughs> uh, but growing up, um, I guess to, to really understand my story, I need to paint you a little bit of a picture. And, uh, I mean, it would begin with, until last year, I had no idea who my father was. And I still have never met him. And it, I don't really care to. I mean, my, my father is in heaven. And um, I, I grew up in, I mean, you guys hear about all the time, the kids on the other side of the track. Well, I don't even know if we could see the tracks from my house. That's how far it was. Hmm. And, um, I mean, really, it was, I grew up in squalor, in, and I, I, grew, I slept on clothes. And, you know, I was the kid that anybody who I met from the square community looked down upon. I was nobody and nothing. So, you know, I was a kid who had lice, had scabies, never washed. I mean, it, it was gross to be around me. And, and nobody really cared to, to, to be around me. My mother was and is a prostitute. She had me when she was 15 years old. Uh, we used to get, my brother and I, we used to get punished. Um, you know, we, we'd get hit with a belt with studs on it. Um, we would, um, I mean, I'd had cigarettes put out of my hand. There were just many things just like that. I used to steal food so that way my brother and I could eat. And just kind of tell you, that's where I was. And your, and your mom was an addict. Yeah, oh and yeah. Would, and you would sometimes go get. I'd run drugs for her. I mean, it, it, I can still remember vividly watching her shooting up heroin. And, uh, to, to see where I was right then, I did not know what hope was. Hmm. I couldn't see it. You know, here's the world, and here's me. I couldn't see anything above that wall. Hmm. And uh, some, some guy came around, and uh, he had a bus, and he's like, hey, do you want to go to church on Sunday? And I'm like, you mean I get to get out of here? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> and I think he had some cookies or something, too. It's like, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, food, yay. But uh, so we, we get on this bus, we're going to, to, um, to church, and it was more like a lightning strike to me. It was a switch coming on. It wasn't a gradual thing. Hmm. We, we, we were in Sunday school, and um, again, just like Ryan, the police to me were, was an enemy. And um, we didn't go around the police. We <laughs> feared the police. I mean, David's okay, but, you know, back <laughs> in the day... <laughs> Back in the day, it, it just wasn't that way, and the story that they told was of a police officer. So from my perspective, it's like, you know, hey, this guy is not friendly, and they were talking about a guy who uh, was committing crimes. So this is a guy I can identify with, and the police officer came and caught the guy doing bad things, and uh, instead of taking him to jail right away, what he did was he took him, he cleaned him up, he fed him, made sure he was good, and then... Justice still had to be paid. So, and I'm sorry, this story gets me every time, but hmm. justice had to be paid. The crime was still committed. So um, the police officer took him to the judge, and the judge levied this huge fine that he could never pay. 
and he was looking at a lot of trouble. And the police officer paid that fine and then took him back to his home and, and helped him. And so me as a young kid, and I'm about 12, I say, I want that. Mm. I need that. At that point, I knew what hope was. Mm. And I'm not telling you when I got home that it was any different. I still faced all the same things. I still had all those things in front of me. And it's not like I went from being a criminal to not a criminal. Um, but I had hope. It's hmm. powerful. So, uh, guys, there, yeah, yeah. So, there are, there are people sitting here today, and they're, they're in some way, shape, form, fashion, where you were. Uh, maybe not circumstantially, but just in their connection to God. If, if they could walk out the door and you could say, hey, do this one thing, and this could help you to begin having a personal relationship with God, what would you tell them? I'm going to start with you, David. Uh, read the Bible. Um, you know, reading the Bible, you're going to see that there's a lot of messed up people in there, uh, just like every one of us. Uh, I mess up every day. But uh, you begin to learn God, who he truly is, through his character. Uh, and and that's, and that's one of the mistakes I find that people make when they read the Bible. Is they think the Bible is this record of people who are perfect, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's the record of people who are really screwed up like us that God still cares about. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, pursuing God the way that he pursued me, I could look back, you know, several years at different points in my life and see where God was pursuing me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just was shoving him away uh, in one shape or form, you know, the some fashion I was always shoving him away you know I wanted to do what uh, was fun for me or you know or what I thought was fun for me but it was really just a, a hole that I just kept digging uh, that just seemed to be never ending um, and by pursuing him that same relationship the way he pursues me uh, my life is just better I, I don't have any other words for it other than it's better I can't describe uh, what God does for me by having that personal relationship yeah. okay great Ryan. I would say uh, yeah, do your research, you know, read, don't, don't take your, your opinion of, of, of God based off how us screwed up people portray him yeah. because we're, we're always going to be one-sided mm. and uh, God is so much different and so much better mm. and you can, just by reading certain things and not, not basing your judgment on God based off this Christian said this, or that Christian said this about God. Learn the character of God hmm. and the personality of God. Good. Uh, so, just like many of you, I still bear the scars, both emotionally and physically, of life. Hmm. And uh, what I would tell you is to lose the fear. I mean, we're all afraid to give our control to somebody else. And I got to tell you, He won't let you down. You just got to do it. Guys, thank you. Uh, as we end, Tim's going to come up. He's going to play a song, and we're going to we're going to take these elements of what's known as uh, communion or the Lord's Supper, Eucharist. I don't know what your experience might have been with that. Uh, this is a two thousand year old tradition that Christians have uh, undertaken. And they, when we do it, we remember what Jesus did for us, that he 
reconciled the world to himself and wasn't counting people's sins against them. Not, some people uh, grew up, and I don't know, again, I don't know what your experience was, and they, had, they were taught the idea that you came and you received these elements, this bread and this juice, and it, it turns into the body of Jesus and like some kind of magic pill wipes away your sins by doing that. Uh, other people are taught other whole spectrums of things of what this means. Here, here's, the, here's the heart of it, because sometimes um, these kinds of things get barnacles on them of, of meaning, and if you strip it all away, here's what it is. It's like dinner time, and dinner's been served, and you've been invited over because someone wanted to be close to you, and it's the announcement that dinner's ready, come to the table, it's all prepared. So that, that's, that's the heart of communion, is that the Lord's Supper is sometimes called the Lord's Table, is that we remember when we take this bread that symbolizes Christ's body broken for us on the cross and his blood shed for us on the cross, and we take and we eat it, we remember that Christ died for us to reconcile us to God, that he made the first move. So this might be the moment that you do that, and you move from believing in God to knowing God personally, and you don't have to have it all figured out, you don't have to know all the answers, but this should just be the moment when you go, I'd like to come to your table and be part of your family. I'm kind of tired of doing it my um, there's even, the, we've made these temporary tattoos that just say do over. It's got that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ is a new creation. You've probably never taken communion and also gotten a temporary tattoo at the same time. <laughs> I've never done that. But if you wanted to take one of these, and even if it's not you, you want to take one, and you just wanted to mark your body somehow this week, temporarily, <laughs> to say, man, I'm part of, I'm, I'm going to know God personally, not just believe in God, because I need the do over. I want to be connected to the source of life. So I'm going to invite you to stand, if you would. And uh, as you, you can come down when you're ready, and you just kind of form a line and come down at the end of each of the aisles and on the balcony. And then as you go, you just eat this, and remember that Christ died for you, and be thankful. And then after you take it, you're dismissed. And if you'd like to talk to somebody, there'll be somebody from our prayer team over on the sides. If you'd like to talk to somebody about this or have some questions and just want someone to answer those questions or pray with you, they'd be glad to do that. So come when you're ready. Dinner's ready.